Political Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to look at a very interesting book that promotes intercultural understanding. Our guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Joe Leary has spent most of his adult life interacting and engaging with other cultures and promoting cross-cultural understanding. For 20 years, Mr. Leary was the executive director of the University of California's International House. His most recent book, Drawing Together All He Has Learned About Understanding, and misunderstanding each other in the book is titled Perception and Deception, A Mind-Opening Journey Across Cultures. Joe Lurie, welcome to today's Global Connections program. A pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me, Bill. I appreciate you being with me today. Let's just jump right into your book. Well, no, let's not. Let's go back. You were in, I didn't mention in the introduction, you were in the United States Peace Corps. You were in Kenya. Why did you join the Peace Corps and how did that help lead you into your future professional avenue of service, if you will? Well, basically, this was the late 60s, and there were two major reasons. One was <clears throat> I was at the time a student at McGill University pursuing a, a doctorate in English literature, and having realized at one point that, you know, I was reading all these great books by people who had had very deep, extensive lives, and I hadn't lived. Uh, and so basically, I said to myself, you know, all these great writers, I'm reading about what they've experienced over time, but not me. And also, mm -hmm. I found that academia was getting to be very stifling, and I was I was opposed to the Vietnam War. So it was a it was a compilation of a, a variety of things that drove me to the Peace Corps. And Kennedy's message resonated with me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure: I was a Peace Corps volunteer also in the Dominican Republic. And the third goal of the Peace Corps to bring that experience home certainly played a key role in my life as far as my international activities. And I'm sure it did in yours, too, did it not? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I got to Kenya, I realized how much I didn't know uh, and how much I still don't know. <laughs> uh, and so um, if I may just give you two brief examples of things that I misunderstood that led me ultimately to a career in the world of international educational exchange. Uh, I noticed that uh, in Kenya, my Kenyan colleagues, Kenyan friends, Kenyan acquaintances, when they would have a conversation with me, often held my hand. Full disclosure, I'm heterosexual. My background is heterosexual. So, you know, initially, given my narrow prism on this, I thought, gee, uh, are these men interested in me in, in ways that I'm not prepared for? What did I learn from this? That in most parts of Africa, over 95% of the time in many parts of the Middle East, parts of Asia, men hold hands. It has nothing to do with homosexuality. And then I learned that culture shapes everything from touch to language to discourse, everything, literally gestures. Uh, and just one other example that was very striking to me, I noticed that 
there are cultural definitions, uh, cultural issues related to eye contact. Here in this country, many people associate direct eye contact with being sincere, candid, frank. Well, what I didn't understand when I first got there was that many younger people do not look in the eyes of elders or authority figures. And so the interpretation of those of us who were not in the know was these people are devious. They're not telling us the truth. And so that morphed into this horrible, misleading stereotype. So when I left the Peace Corps, uh, after an extraordinary journey of learning, I thought, gee, you know, uh, first of all, there's extraordinary ignorance about Africa. Um, and maybe I can help in some way to help people to understand what they don't know. And so I went into the world of international educational exchange because it it brings together people to people interactions in ways that textbooks don't. It certainly does. And that leads us right into the Berkeley International House. What exactly was that very briefly? Very briefly, uh, you know, it, it started in New York City. Uh, gentleman from the YMCA in 1909 met a Chinese student walking up the steps of Columbia University. The Chinese student said, the uh, the gentleman from the YMCA said, good morning. The Chinese student looked stunned, shocked, and said, I've been in this country for three weeks and no one has spoken to me. And so that man, Harry Edmonds of the YMCA, basically said, we want to create an institution which bring people together from all over the world. Actually, the first effort to integrate the human race since the Tower of Babel. And so international houses, of which one, one in Berkeley that I was affiliated with for a very long period of time, brings together close to 600 students from 75, 80 countries and 25 U.S. states, so that they are living together on a day-to-day -day basis, interacting, dispelling their stereotypes, um, and often uh, basically forming lifelong friendships. And I must say, this is really important, that the International House in Berkeley, for example, was responsible for desegregating Berkeley and many issues beyond nationally with its Black and Chinese alumni. It certainly had a multi-purpose, no doubt about that. Well, you've, you've continued that international intercultural experience, I guess we could say, and you wrote a book, a very interesting book, titled Perception and Deception, A Mind-Opening Journey Across Cultures. Why did you decide to write that book? Well, here it is, just for your, just for your <laughs> okay. visually. It's Show and tell, show and yeah. tell. But basically on the cover, this is the most recent edition. I have the back of a bald head. And yeah. for your viewers, it says militant, monk, punk, or patient. If you're standing in line behind someone with a bald head, what you see is shaped by the narrowness of your experience. We're all, we all have narrow experiences, right? So I wrote this book, the first edition back in 2015 and 16, because the cliches about globalization are that it's bringing people together. People, uh, migration, technology is creating many, many more contacts across cultures, but I call it contact with without convergence without context and so when you have convergence rapid convergence without context the opportunity or the the danger of misunderstanding both humorous tragic dangerous multiplies on steroids so i decided to write this book not only about 
uh, all of the things I didn't understand about my Kenyan experiences. And when I say Kenyan, I deliberately don't say African. And your viewers should know that there are at least 50 languages spoken in Kenya, 300 in Nigeria, and over 3,000 languages in all of the continent of Africa. And so basically what I wanted to do was to share those experiences. And at the end of each chapter, I have reflection exercises to help readers to engage with their own misunderstandings or possible misunderstandings. So there's a chapter about um, Africa, Kenya, a chapter about International House, a chapter about immigration, migrants, et cetera, et cetera, on every conceivable level to help people to understand what I'm looking at is not necessarily what I'm seeing. So you're giving your reader a quiz, so to speak, <laughs> to see what he or she picked up along the way. Exactly. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So what are some of the other misconceptions that you've dealt with over the years as far as, well, either at, at the Berkeley House or as a Peace Corps volunteer or just in your day-to-day -day routine or your interactions with people in this country and in other countries too, obviously? Oh, my goodness. Um, so let, let me talk about uh, the fact that when I when I retired from International House, I felt I wanted to continue this journey, and I started to work with uh, immigrants and refugees, because as, as we know, there's an extraordinary explosion of migration across cultures. Well, what does that mean? That means that when people come to your country from another country, the, the potential for misunderstanding explodes. So I started to coach refugees. They were very skilled refugees uh, from other countries, doctors, architects, uh, scientists, computer scientists, and I was trying to help them in the process of looking for a job. What did I discover? That every country has its own way of presenting an interview, uh, presenting a resume. Every country has a different protocol for how you, how you interview people. So, for example, when I would do mock interviews with many of these refugees, particularly from groups, uh, countries where you have a more of a collective sense of, of society, uh, I would often say, uh, tell me about your accomplishments. You know, that's a very common question in job interviews in the United States. And many of the, these refugees, particularly from more collectivistic countries, uh, would, would be very hesitant to talk about their accomplishments because they're taught in more communal societies not to stand out. So they would be very, very um, shy about that. I remember saying this, asking uh, uh, in a mock interview, a woman from Nepal, tell me about your accomplishments. She was very uneasy about it. I noticed on a resume that she'd spent a year at Johns Hopkins University. I said, how did you get there? She said, um, well, I had a little financial aid. A little financial aid, Bill. What was the message? Full scholarship. She didn't want to say full scholarship because it was like pointing at herself. And it reflected the wisdom um, I use it as a metaphor for explaining these things of a Japanese proverb, which goes like this. When the nail sticks up, hammer it down. Don't point to yourself. In fact, many of these folks from those countries where this is common, when they come to the United States and they see employee of the month, you know how in many businesses and many uh, enterprises, employee of the month picture of an individual, and they would feel, you know, uncomfortable with that. Well, what about all the other people? Because basically people would say, I don't like to show that on my resume because what about all the people that helped me? Many of these people would say in their interviews, when I said, 
what talk about your accomplishment, they would start with the word we, not I. And I would say, what? I'm asking about your accomplishments. And they would say, I could not do it without the help of all my colleagues. So that's one example. Uh, let, let's say in the world of uh, business, uh, let me deal with health for a second, if I may. Um, okay, please, sure. You know, when people cross cultures, they realize, gee, there's a different way of uh, analyzing how you diagnose a disease, how you treat a disease. And as many of your viewers probably know that in many parts of Asia, there's this whole concept of yin and yang. If you have too much yin, you need some more yang. If you have too much yang, you need some more yin, right? So there's this famous story of a, of a um, Vietnamese woman who was giving birth in the United States and she was dehydrated. So what did the American nurse give her? Cold water. And she couldn't understand why the woman wouldn't drink the cold water. Well, in Vietnamese culture, giving birth is a cold state. So you need warm water. So it was only because of a Vietnamese immigrant who had become a nurse who understood both points of view that brought the warm water that enabled this person not to be dehydrated anymore. Or you, your viewers may know that many times people from many Asian countries, they do something called uh, coining or they use uh, glass um, suction cups to pull out the toxins of your body. So it leaves red marks on your body, right? Well, the response of people in the West who are not familiar with that will say, oh my God, the, the, these people are being uh, abused by their parents. And actually, there are stories of children that have been taken away, not only in the United States, but in parts of Europe, taken away from their parents because they thought that the parents were abusing their kids with the red marks on the body when they were really the result of either coining or the suction cups meant to pull out toxins. Really tragic stories. And when we look at all the cultures in the world, there's so much to learn and to be aware of as we interact with people, or even if we don't interact with them, we just want to learn more about them. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS, our community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very interesting book that focuses on intercultural understandings and misunderstandings. My guest today is Mr. Joe Lurie, and Mr. Joe Lurie is the author of a book titled Perception and Deception, A Mind-Opening Journey Across Cultures. Joe, you've, we've been talking about international folks. As we look at the United States, we look at it right now, we look at all the dissension that's going on in this country, the polarization of parties, of people who have fixed beliefs one way or the other, uh, a lot of misinformation being put out by a lot of so-called media outlets, which are not, but they're really propaganda outlets, in my opinion. But how do you, do your principles or some of the suggestions you make in your book, do they apply to what's going on, say, with the polarization 
in the United States or even to the war in Ukraine. We'll just we'll do one international, one domestic. Well, I think, you know, stereotypes are something that go back to the beginning of time. But as you suggest, in this time of polarization, people look for what they want to see and listen for what they want to hear. And as we know, people tend to, for the most part, not only in our country, but all over the world, be in silos, social media silos that basically feed them what they want to hear or what they want to listen to. So basically, I remember the days when I was growing up and we would watch uh, the news of the evening. Most people would watch the, new, the nightly news. Now you choose what news you would like to listen to. So this is, I think, a very difficult thing to bridge. And the way that I think that we will save ourselves is if some leading inspirational folks get out there and say, listen, you know, there are ways to find out what you don't know by spending time with people who are different from you. So yes, the Peace Corps, my experiences in the Peace Corps by living with people from Kenya, helped me to understand that perhaps if in the United States, Americans could learn more about other people by spending time with them, the third goal of the Peace Corps, right? We could help other people understand more about the United States by people living together. So ultimately, by living together at a place like International House, people discover what they don't know, right? They begin to break their stereotypes. So yes, I would love to see hundreds, thousands more International Houses. The International House movement hopefully will grow with time and in response to this toxicity. But also, I don't know, do you remember the program, the American Field Service, the ambulance drivers that were in the First and Second World War, they created this uh, intercultural living experience for high school students. And they went all around the world, learned other languages. And it's not an accident that many of the foreign service officers in the United States now are former AFS students. So what I think is needed is in the United States in particular for the moment, that people, there be domestic exchanges. Kids who go from urban school, who live in urban areas, should live with families for a semester or a year in rural areas and vice versa. People who come from one ethnicity should be living with people from another ethnicity in a different part of the country. It's that, it's that human connection. I've often said, Bill, that to open the mind, often you have to first touch the heart. Because you can't learn this in a, in a textbook, in my experience. Let me, can I give you a concrete example of this? Sure, please. Okay, so here's one, just one of thousands of stories from International House and AFS and the experiment in international living, which I also was affiliated with many years ago. At International House some years ago, there was a Pakistani Muslim working in the program office because International House is not just a dormitory, it's a learning living center. And in the same program office was another resident who was a Filipina Christian. She wouldn't talk to him. They, even though the mission of International House is to promote mutual understanding, right? Fellowship across cultures. Why wouldn't she talk to him? Probably because in the southern part of the Philippines, there is this extremist, violent Islamic group. Now, whether she personally was touched by it, a member of a family or the media, she wouldn't talk to him until she got sick. When she got sick, 
at International House, when you get sick at International House, somebody comes and brings you food from the dining room. Bill, who brought her food? The Pakistani Muslim. Bill, this is now 20 years after that incident. They are best friends today. So that living experience, that generosity of spirit, that human, the thing that humanizes us is, I think, in a metaphorical way, the way to address polarization, to encourage interaction, to encourage civility by living together, not just talking or reading about it in a textbook. The intercultural experience is just absolutely irreplaceable. There's no doubt about it. You've experienced it. Millions of folks have, I have to some degree, but it's absolutely critical. And there are other groups too that are out there that you mentioned. Well, we talked about the Peace Corps. People could look at joining the Peace Corps, or at least learning more about it. There are a lot of other groups that are internationally oriented, like Rotary International, Kiwanis International, Lions International. They, these all give opportunities for people to get involved and to have international experiences and interacting with people from other parts of the world. So there are a lot of opportunities that we could look at. Well, Joe, before we run out of time, let me ask you in the last 30 seconds or so, <laughs> what, what is the main message you would like to leave with our viewers to promote your ideas and to talk about what we've been talking about now? Okay, I'll give you just one little incident. Uh, a young uh, child, who was walking with her mother in Central Park in New York City, pointed to a bird in the sky, three years old, and said, Mommy, where is that bird's cage? And the mother said, you know, why did the girl say that? Because at home, she only had one reality, the parakeet in the cage. All of us on some level are in a cage. So we have to learn through interacting with people, what else could this mean? And remember the African proverb, the stranger sees only what he or she knows. That is very true. And I'm so glad you mentioned the, the saying about the nail that stands up gets hammered down because that certainly has been, I think, very descriptive of many of the folks from Asia in particular and from other parts of the world too. And that's something that is sometimes strange or alien to us in this country. Before I forget it, I also wanna make uh, mention of your website at www.perceptionanddeception.com so that our viewers can go to it and get more information about what we've been talking about today. But I look forward to taking your quiz and find out if I've learned it, <laughs> if I can pass an intercultural test. But Joe Leary has been extremely interesting. Congratulations on the book. And I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill, for inviting me. And I hope one day you and I will interact in person, live. Uh, Post-COVID. <laughs> okay. Uh, very good. Thank you so much. Take care. I'm Bill, I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.